Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and, and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here. I am pretty geeked up about today's passage, actually. So uh, we're going to dive in, all right? So if you have your Bible, uh, would you do me a favor? Would you turn with me to, actually, we're going to start in Hebrews 5. And uh, uh, this is a passage that uh, in church history and church life has created some confusion. And uh, uh, I, I actually, as I spent time studying it, um, you know, this is a passage often pointed to where people tell you, hey, you can, you can lose your salvation. And I would actually say it's just quite the opposite. And it lets us know that our salvation is secure in God through Christ alone. And so I'm going to bring you full circle, and it's going to be a great sermon this morning, uh, not because of me, but because of the text, okay? And so uh, I can never tell if mine are any good or not. But anyway, do me a favor and get your Bible out and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 10. That's actually where we're going to start. And then there's a handout in your bulletin, and you can follow along with me. And then while you're getting all that out, I, I want to kind of take a moment and just kind of update you as a church body, okay? Uh, and so I don't know if you know this, uh, so if you're new here this morning or you're visiting this morning, just, just so you're kind of listening in on a little bit of church family talk, okay? So uh, actually, one year ago today, uh, we took up a special one-time offering where the goal was to raise $300,000 in one offering so that we could purchase and worship in this location. Isn't that cool? And uh, so that happened a year ago. Yeah, that's great stuff. And the Lord has been faithful, and, uh, and so we did a series uh, last May, April and May, that we called Beyond, and the idea was that we wanted, we felt like the Lord was asking us to take a next step in obedience and, and to relocate, and we needed a building that would, house, that would take care of more seating, more parking, and more children's space, and so we feel like God really kind of gave us this spot that you're in, and we had to raise some funds to do that, and so we asked the church body uh, to raise a million dollars over and above their regular giving uh, over an 18-month period, okay? And so I wanted to just update you on that, all right? So we, and so during the Beyond campaign uh, to, uh, to date, uh, and, and, and the Beyond campaign ends in December, so we're about two-thirds of the way through. Does that make sense? And so, uh, and so to date, we've raised $742,000 towards that goal of a million, okay? And... Um, which means there's about 258,000 to go to finish our goal. And, and I think part of the, uh, the maybe the danger, it's probably too strong of a word, but uh, maybe the danger of being in the building and not finishing the campaign is if you leave here today and you think, well, man, we're in, so everything's done, okay? And so that's why I wanted to give you a little bit of an update uh, of where we are, okay? We, um, we actually had some some contractors that were very, very generous with us uh, to help us get in here sooner rather than later. And uh, we actually still owe our contractors about $145,000. And so, you know, that's, we're really, really thankful uh, for the contractors that allowed us to get in on, on the front end. And so, you know, as you're finishing out your pledge or your campaign, uh, it's going towards that, okay? We, we, need, we wanna have, as a church body, we wanna have a good reputation in the community, right? And, and, and make 
sure that we pay the bills that we owe and we feel like we got a really good product for the price and, and our contractors did a great job and, and so we want to be, you know, finish out our job and, and pay them. The second thing that we need, okay, then on that 258000 that's still outstanding is this sound system. It's actually a borrowed th- sound system. Thank you, Dane Davis, okay? Uh, but we really need to purchase our own sound system by the end of the summer, okay? And so we're kind of targeting that and so you're giving and you're your donation goes to that, okay? And uh, I'm not going to give you the full price. If you want, if you want to know, you can talk to me or Pastor Joey, Pastor Jeff. But they're not cheap, okay? And uh, part of the new sound system is going to have we're going to have a couple clusters of speakers in here. Part of the reason it's so loud right now is we have one set of speakers. And we're trying to project all the way to the back, and so uh, the new one will be, you know, it'll be, you know, help our ears, you know, and our hearing, and and be loud enough for everybody to hear. It's always you're always in sound trying to strike that balance, okay? So part of your giving is going towards that. Uh, and we also need to finish off our roof. You know, we've got a 30-year-old roof, and right now we're kind of patching it as we go, and we, we really like to fix it properly. And, uh, and so that 258000 will go to that, all right? And so you know, we just, I just wanted to challenge you this morning. Uh, one of the things I love about Coastal, uh, Coastal's all, and I, you know what? And I forgot to say this, Steve. I told you I'd give you the clue, and I didn't. And so I'm such a knucklehead. Uh, so just as part, uh, yeah, uh, the, actually part of that first offering we raised, you built this house in Honduras. I don't know if you remember that, but there are now a half a dozen kids that didn't have a home that now have a home because of the Beyond campaign. That was part of what we did, right? We, went, we didn't just want to house our own ministries. We wanted to house some children. And so, and so isn't that cool? You know, so God has just done so much. And and we're so grateful. And uh, so let me just finish with this. You know, we're two-thirds of the way through. And uh, if, you've, if you've made a pledge and to this point you haven't been able to fulfill that pledge, I just want to challenge you, just pray. You know, God obviously spoke to your heart a year ago and uh, asked the Lord. You can take that one down. Um, so, you know, God obviously spoke to your heart and I want to encourage you to finish your pledge. Uh, if you finished your pledge and God has been faithful to you and you can continue to give to the Beyond campaign, let me encourage you to do that, you know, and, and help us finish off uh, phase one of this building. And, uh, and so if, if you're new to Coastal Community Church and, and this is now your home church, let me just encourage you. One of the things we said from the beginning of this move is it was going to require every single person that calls Coastal Community Church their home to link arms, right, and be a part of this. And so, um, so if you're new uh, and this is now your home church, out at the Connect Center, uh, we have some pledge cards. And, and if you would like to let us know, hey, you know what, I do want to be a part. And we use the phrase, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. And everybody had to be a part of making a small sacrifice and, and, and to make this happen. So if you'd like to do that, get just on your way out, pick up a pledge card and let us know your commitment from now to the end of December. And, uh, and man, we would, we would like to finish this campaign. Isn't that exciting? And uh, man, I'm super excited. Super th- and, and you know, if you've been given to this, I just let me just say thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it just your part in this has been incredible, and to see the Lord honor your faithfulness has been amazing. So let's do this. I want to pray, and just I want to challenge. Here's the challenge I want to give you: Let's finish what God has started here. Let's not think, man, the job is done. Let's make sure we finish up uh, what God has called us to do, and uh, and honor Him all the way to December, and and finish phase one out, and and move on, and see what the Lord has next. Isn't that exciting? And so. Uh, let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for, you know, it's hard to believe that it was a year ago today that we started this process, and, and uh, man, we had that amazing service where uh, your, your church body came forward and made pledges and commitments to what was at the time just a dream, just a vision, and, and to be sitting here in this location and in worshiping you this morning through song, through children's ministry. Uh, yesterday, this place was used to feed hungry people through mission, God, um, to, to gather here. And as we open your word and we take it serious, God, and just all of that uh, was in, in this location started a year ago. It's just really awesome, God, to see you be faithful. And, and so is your people, Lord. We want, we want to honor our, our commitments all the way through. And God, we want to see this uh, finished by, by December of this year. And I pray that you'll bless those who are generously donating, God. I always think about Malachi 3.10, that 
really kind of says you can't outgive the Lord, and He'll bless your socks off. And we never know what that what that blessing looks like, Lord, whether it's spiritual or financial or whatever. But I just know you're with your people uh, when they're when they're generous uh, with your church. And so I just pray your blessing on this church body as they are faithful to their commitments. And so we thank you. And that's what, really God. This is going to be the kind of the so what of this sermon this morning. We thank you that you're a God that is true to your promises, and uh, and we can we can stake not only our lives, we can stake our eternity on the fact that uh, when God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And so, man, that is very comforting. And so help us to trust in your character and in your promises. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, church, great morning. I'm really excited about this passage of scripture. You know, I, uh, yeah, I've always... I think in anything in life, my concern has always, it's never really been growth of things, it's been health of things, right? So, like, if you have a kid, and your kid is 12, but your kid still looks like an eight-year-old, right? And so, for four years, your kid's been stuck at eight years old, but now you know they're 12. Like, you... You'd be concerned at some point along the way, right? You might even go see the doctor. You might say, is my, is my child unhealthy in any way? They don't seem to be growing. And the, fa- the, you know, the focus at that point wouldn't be on growth. It would be on health, right? You wouldn't look at your 12-year-old that looks like an 8-year-old and go, why don't you grow? You know, what's wrong with you? You know, and you'd say, something's not right, right? And so, you know, I've always said it's about being healthy, uh, uh, you know, a plant. If you, if you keep a plant healthy, that plant will naturally grow and it will naturally bear fruit. And uh, it's, I think it's the same thing spiritually speaking, right? It's the same thing organizationally speaking. You know, I've never at Coastal, I've never said, hey, it's about growth. I've always said it's about health. And if you're healthy and you, you ground yourself in the Word of God, that, that naturally there should be growth. And of course, part of that growth is spiritual growth. And, uh, and so, you know, this morning, the author of Hebrews is reminding these people that spiritual maturity is the expectation of a Christian, okay? And, and so that's kind of the context of our passage that Christians, according to this author, are expected to grow spiritually. They're to grow into maturity. And we're gonna, I'm going to define that in a minute so you know what that means. But in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, the author now, so last week, remember we looked, and, and by the way, this comes full circle. So you're going to see at the end of the sermon how last week's sermon builds on this week's sermon in Hebrews. And so if you missed last week, I just want to encourage you, get that sermon, listen to it online, because you got to see how they build on one another, okay? And so the author went transitions from how Jesus is our great high priest. Now he's saying, you know, we are expected to grow spiritually. And so he says, there's much more we'd like to say about this. And so he's referring to what he just taught, but he said, it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. Okay. And so he's cautious. The author is cautious of spiritual dullness. Now, in all my years of of being the pastor, I there's two things in my mind that lend themselves to spiritual dullness, okay? Number one is as Christians, if we live in habitual sin, it, it, it keeps us from growing spiritually, and it leads to spiritual dullness. So in other words, it you know, if there's a, if there's a sinful addiction or pattern in your life, and you're not daily working on repenting of that sin and growing, that there will be a spiritual dullness. The things that God wants to do to grow you in maturity will be thwarted because of your dullness. You know, one of the things I say to singles, you know, when a single comes to me and they're dating and they, they say, uh, listen, this person, I, j- I know it's God's will for me to marry that person. You know what question I'm going to ask? Are you sleeping with them? Are you sleeping with them? And if they tell me yes, I will say, well, how can you know God's will when you're already outside of God's will, right? There's a spiritual dullness there. You have to be, like, how can you discern what God is doing when he's very clearly told us that sex and sexuality is reserved for marriage and therefore you're already out of his will. So don't come in here and tell me you're in his will and you know his will. You know, man, if you're struggling with pornography and it's a regular habit in your life, that's sin. That will leave you spiritually dull. 
And what it will, it'll bear, the, it'll bear a sinful pattern in other areas of your life. And sometimes you'll be like, why can't I overcome this? Why can't I? Well, because there's a spiritual dullness in your life. And the list goes on and on. So I've, you know, habitual sin. The second thing that I've noticed that creates spiritual dullness in our hearts and lives is when we disconnect ourselves from other believers, okay? So, you know, and so we stop coming to church, if you will, you know, and I, I'm hesitant to use that, but I hope you know what I mean. We stop, we, we disassociate, and so coming, regularly coming to corporate worship is something we do less and less and less of, right? We have an excuse for one week, and then one week turns to two weeks, and two weeks turns to a month, and a month turns to a year suddenly we you know we're showing up at you know twice a year you know maybe Christmas maybe Easter whatever you know and I'm always thankful when people come at Christmas and Easter but what happens is if that's all you're doing there becomes a spiritual dullness and you're not growing in maturity because you're not hanging out where the word of God is taught you're not hanging out with people that are serious about pursuing Christ with all that they are and spiritual dullness comes in so the author says and we have to be careful of spiritual dullness the second thing he says in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 5, he says, Now solid food is for those who are mature, who, rec- who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And so he's saying this, this idea of training is the idea of constant practice to maturity, or what I like to call spiritual disciplines. Okay, so we've been talking, I've been challenging you guys to daily cling to Christ, right? Every day, and the author, many, we've done three or four sermons now through several chapters where the author says, cling to Christ while it's today. And so now he's reminding, like, how do we do that? How do we cling to Christ while it's today? Well, it's, it's through regular spiritual disciplines, right? We don't do spiritual disciplines, you know, to impress God. We do spiritual disciplines so that we continually cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a daily reminder. And so spiritual disciplines like being in prayer on a daily basis, okay? Being in your word. And why, one of the reasons I say week in and week out, maybe I forgot to say it in this service, but you know, if you don't have a Bible, right? I say this every week. There's one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. Why? Because we want you to have a copy of the word of God so that you're beginning beginning to put some spiritual disciplines in your life so that you're growing in maturity because the expectation is Christians are growing in spiritual maturity, all right? So spirit, you know, personal disciplines of being in the word and maybe fasting from time to time, being in prayer. And then there's the corporate disciplines. And if you come to Coastal for any length of time, you're gonna hear me say this, you know, we, our, our vision here is to develop authentic followers of Christ. And how do we do that? We want you to connect, grow, and serve. Here's what we mean by that. We want you to regularly be a part of corporate worship. We want you to be in a small group ministry where there's other Christians around you that are helping you grow closer to Christ in maturity, right? And we want you to serve. We want you to find a place where you're giving back. Why? Because these are biblical expectations of a believer that's growing in spiritual maturity. And so, you know, and so the author's saying, look, you got it. there's some discipline to this, right? For those of you who physically fit, listen, there's no pill for physical fitness. I wish there was, right? You know, whoom, take a pill, woo, look at me. I, no, it's a discipline to it, right? You don't just get to swell up, you know, you, you, you got to... You got to work at it. Same thing in spiritual maturity. The author's saying, look, you should be growing in spiritual maturity, and it takes a certain level of discipline. So now he transfers in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, uh, we should be growing in spiritual disciplines. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to what? What's it say there, church? Maturity, right? So let's go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And so, again, all, he's repeating here, growing in Christ is the expectation. Now, let me, uh, let me make sure we have a good understanding of this, okay? Um, I think a lot of times, especially in American Christianity, when we hear the word grow in maturity, we kind of default to head knowledge, Right? Like, and I'm not saying that's bad. In fact, I'm a big believer that you, know, you should be equipping yourselves by reading and, and growing in head knowledge. But it's not head knowledge for head knowledge's sake. I think a lot of people default to, well, I just need more Bible study. I just need, if I knew the original languages of the Bible, Hebrew and Greek, and maybe even bring in a little Aramaic, man, that would be fantastic. You know, if I just knew these languages, man, I really would be growing in maturity. And, you know, I need to go to seminary. I need to take Bible classes. And again, all those things are fine, but you can have a ton of head knowledge and still not be growing to maturity. 
Okay. Now, the head knowledge should help you understand the gospel and challenge you. And so the apostle Paul actually defines what spiritual maturity is in 1 Corinthians 3, where he says almost the same thing. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I mean, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. Why? Well, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. So what is infants in Christ? It's not head knowledge. It's not more Bible study. It's being worldly in your thinking. It's being influenced by the world. Why? Because you're spending more time watching Oprah than you are reading your word, right? And so your grid is kind of this American Oprah worldview instead of rather a biblical worldview. So we're in the scriptures so that we are able to process the world as it comes to us, biblically speaking, and not and thinking as a mature Christian and not thinking as a worldly person. Does that make sense? And so Paul says, I had to talk to you as you belong to the world as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food. Why? Because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready for you're still controlled by your what? What's it say? Sinful nature. So the maturity piece is that we're growing to be more and more like Christ. We're growing in righteousness and we're growing in holiness. And as we grow in this process, like uh, the big theology word is the process of sanctification. We're growing to be more like Jesus. Our sin, we should be putting to death our sinful nature. That's why Pastor Joey, when he prayed, he said, God, may we grow to have the same hatred of sin as you hate sin. And if you're a Christian and you're still loving your sin, the gospel of Jesus and, it's, and the cost of the of your penalty of your sin has not yet sunk deeply enough into your heart. If you're loving your habitual sin, then you haven't taken enough time to consider, well, well now wait a minute, for me to be forgiven, what was the cost of that? Well, the cost was the gospel. The cost was God sending his son and, and, and being brutally put to death and the wrath of God being poured out on God's son for my sin that hasn't sunk in deep enough yet because you're still in love with your sin instead of in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ and so we should be growing in maturity where the enemies of our faith the world the flesh our sinful nature and the devil should not be influencing us if you're if you're a Christian you're running around going well the devil put that thought in my head all right, the Bible says, guess what? When it comes to the thoughts in our head, take every thought captive. Just because the thought enters your head doesn't mean it's true or right. Okay, it should be run through the grid of the scriptures and it should be run through the grid of Christian community maybe where you seek some wisdom, okay? And, and so, there, there's some, so there's some things that make sure that the thoughts that you're thinking are wise and from the Lord. We should be growing in maturity. And so the author is encouraging us. And by the way, he, he really, I think he's saying it's an oxymoron to be called a Christian that's not growing, Okay? A Christian's growing in maturity, and so because of that, he gives a very strong warning against apostasy, okay? Now, the author's been doing this throughout this text. He's been warning us to, to and he's been approaching salvation from the responsibility of man. Our responsibility is to repent and believe as long as it's called today. Now, uh, this passage is a, is, is a challenging passage. It's caused a lot of heartburn in the churches through the years, these next three verses, okay? And so we're gonna look at the verses, and then I'm gonna talk to you about how it's been misinterpreted and how some, we, we take take it out of context and we misunderstand this verse. And it's funny, as I studied this passage over the last two weeks, I really spent two weeks with this passage, as I studied it, I grew more encouraged in the security of my salvation. And so I hope you will by the end of this as well. I grew more encouraged by that my salvation ultimately rests in the hands of God and I can take him at his promises and I can take him at his word, okay? So, so let's look at the passage, okay? This is a strong warning against apostasy. Hebrews chapter six, verse four through six. So he, he's warning this congregation that they're not growing in maturity. So it's impossible, he says, to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, 
those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who have turned away from God, it's impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. And so the author says, you know, there are people, the possibility exists of the people that are enlightened, okay? And the idea of being enlightened is this having this intellectual perception of spiritual truth. They're mentally aware of the, of the truth of the word of God. They see the light of the gospel, but I believe he's saying they haven't accepted the light of the gospel. He talks about tasting of the heavenly gift. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. I, I believe the idea here of the heavenly gift is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they've heard and they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they don't know Christ personally. They're tasting Jesus, but they're not feasting on Jesus. And by the way, there's a difference. You can taste something, but it really doesn't have a part of you, right? I know my wife, you know, if there's things that I don't like to eat, she'll like, yeah, it's got some coconut in it, but just taste it, right? Here's what that looks like for me. You know, that's it. That's all. I'm like, you know, I'm not eating that thing. I'm not feet. I don't like coconut, you know? And so, uh, you know, so it's like, uh, you can't hide that taste from me, you know? And so you taste, but you're not feasting on the word of God. The author says that you shared or you literally you partake in the Holy Spirit. You can, you can be surrounded by people who are partaking of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is leading them in truth, but the Holy Spirit's not indwelling you. Right, the Bible, nowhere does the Bible say we, we, we share or we partake in the Holy Spirit. The New Testament teaches that if you're a Christian, the, the Holy Spirit indwells you and changes you. In fact, we're, ta- we're taught that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that lives inside of us. You can't partake or share. The Holy Spirit indwells you. It's not, it's not near us in some nebulous sense. Rather, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And he says that these people tasted the goodness of truth of the kingdom. Again, the kingdom of God is nearby. I, uh, you know, tasting's not the same as feasting. You know, I think you can, you can be an unbeliever in the gospel of Jesus Christ and still be around the scriptures enough and the truth of God's word to know there's some value to that, Right? I said a couple weeks ago, actually, I said, you know, the founders of this great nation that we live in, a lot of people will build the case that most of them were Christians. Some of them were Christians. Most of them were actually deists, which means they believed in certain moral truths of the gospel. They didn't necessarily believe in the supernatural truths of the Bible. Well, if you rip out the supernatural truths of the Bible, There's no such thing as a resurrection, right? Dead guys don't come back to life. You don't believe in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then all of this is for naught, right? So you can be an unbeliever and see certain things in the Scripture and go, well, that's valuable. It's valuable for society. It gives us a moral backbone. Listen, I think all those things are good for society as a whole, but it's not the same as being a Christian, it's not the same as, as, as knowing Christ and feasting on Christ, I think the point that the author is making here is a true believer does not nibble on the gospel. A true believer doesn't, you know, one foot in, one foot out. A true believer feasts on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, uh, this past Friday night, my son had a double header, and so the games went late, and after the double header, a bunch of us went out to, to dinner about 9.30 at night, and, and uh and so I sat across from this college kid uh, that was a hulk, man. He was huge and he was fit, you know. And I was talking to his mom and she's like, watch, watch him eat. It's unbelievable, you know. And so, <laughs> and so out comes this Italian sub and it's a foot long, right? And it's filled with veggies and meat and cheese. And then this child takes his french fries and piles them on the sub, Right? And in like one bite, this whole sub, and it was, in a, it was in a process of him just smiling with glee. He ate this whole sub like, you know, just like a cartoon figure, you know, where you sub the whole thing in. And he smiled, and I was like, 
Now, there's a dude that's feasting on his food, you know? Like, he's not nibbling. He's going big or he's going home. His mom goes, yeah, he eats like 5,000 calories a day. I'm like, well, so do I, you know? Um, it's all right. We look a little different, you know? In John chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus said something really shocking. It's a passage of scripture that every time I look at it, I'm like, I don't, whoa. I brought this up a couple weeks ago in my sermon. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Why would he say that? In fact, I use the story to talk about how sometimes that passage actually encourages me when doubts creep into my mind. What was Jesus saying? He was saying you don't get to nibble on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a taste thing. It's not I'm kind of in. It's a feast thing. It's either all or nothing thing. You're either in or you're out. Some of you in this room have been playing games with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes? And today might be the day where you draw the line in the sand and say, you know what, I'm either in or I'm either feasting or I'm not feasting. I'm either in or I'm out. That's the point of this passage. It's not to divide us and say you can or you can't lose your salvation. The author is saying a Christian grows to maturity and therefore a Christian is not dabbling in Christianity. A Christian is maturing in Christ and feasting on the gospel and doing all that they can to pursue holiness and righteousness as an act of worship to what God has done for them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. And I hope that challenges you, and I, I hope that encourages you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, this is a tough passage of Scripture, and I know it's, it's caused churches to divide. I hope it doesn't divide us. I, I don't see any reason for that to happen. But I do want to speak briefly to the elephant in the room, okay? Because uh, I would not be doing you a service as your pastor if I didn't kind of delve into this. And so the question is, does this passage teach that you can lose your salvation, all right, you can have it and then lose it. And hopefully, I've explained what I think it means enough for you to go. No, that's not what I believe. I don't think that's what this passage teaches. Okay, that's the short answer. All right, and I think it's important to understand this passage in its context. Okay, I think we have to consider the context of the letter. Okay, uh, the, this letter is. Um, written to Jewish Christians who are thinking about leaving the faith because they're being persecuted. And so, as you guys know, over the last four or five weeks, you know, we've been delving into this idea that the author is challenging those, these people, believe in the gospel of Jesus today. It's a daily pursuit. Get up today and believe the gospel of Jesus. Get up on Monday and today. Believe in the gospel of Jesus. Get up on Tuesday and today. Believe in the gospel of Jesus. And so he's once again, he's, he's taking the gospel and he's reminding us of the responsibility of man to, re- to repent and believe, okay? And so, you know, I have a strong view that God is ultimately sovereign over salvation. I have that view because the Bible has that view, okay? However, that doesn't alleviate the responsibility Responsibility of man to respond to the gospel through repentance and faith. We, I always say balance in the Bible is not finding middle ground. Balance in the Bible is two extremes, and we have to think through both extremes. Does that make sense? This is one of those opportunities for us to, to think deeply about the scriptures. And so, so let me zoom out a little bit and give you a bigger context of the scriptures as a whole, okay? The Bible teaches us that, that salvation begins and ends with God, Why? Because we're born into sin, left to our own. We would naturally rebel against the things of God. If, by the way, when I just challenged you to stop nibbling on Christ and start feasting on Christ, and when I'm making a challenge, if something's going on inside of you, like, man, yeah, there's a sin I need to repent of, guess what? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I can't yell enough to make that happen in you, okay? That to really have you repent of your sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything to do with the Holy Spirit taking the truth of the gospel and warming your heart and your affections to the things of the Lord and dis- making you disgusted of your sin. That's supernatural. That's the work of God from beginning to end. It's God who saves, and I'm gonna throw out a controversial word, and I don't intend it to be controversial, but God saves his elect 
It's his sovereign grace and mercy that saves us and causes us to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to upload later today, meaning someone on my staff will, um, will upload uh, my sermon on Romans chapter 9, okay? I preached on this many years ago and the sermon went through Romans. Romans chapter 9 is this great passage that talks about salvation, not from our perspective. Hebrews is taking it from our perspective, okay? But rather, he's talking about salvation from God's perspective and how he's sovereign over salvation, okay? Romans chapter 9. And so the context is God saves his elect. And because God saves his elect, there are many, many verses in Scripture that assure us that we don't lose our salvation as if salvation is some kind of slippery gift that depends on us. Ooh, man, I hope I don't drop it, okay? It doesn't work like that. John chapter 10, Jesus said this. He said, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them. They follow me, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Why can no one snatch them away from him, by the way? For my Father has given them to me. There's, here's the beauty of the doctrine of the Trinity. He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are what? So if the Father has chosen his children before the foundation of the earth and he sent his son through the gospel to save them, he says, we're one and I'm gonna see them through. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter one, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? At the day of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter eight, verse 38, which by the way is in the context of the idea of the election of God. And I'm gonna come back to this in a minute. I'm gonna bring this full circle. But at the end of that, here's what he says. I'm Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. God saves his children from beginning to end. Here's the word. The word is grace. It's the grace of God. And so while this passage in Hebrews is a stern warning to pay close attention daily to your salvation, I think that the idea of salvation, losing your salvation is actually presented as a hypothetical, right? Because this idea is not about losing your salvation. And by the way, I can't be exhaustive here this morning, okay? You guys can do, you're all smart enough to read on your own, okay? But, and, and so I, I started with the idea of covering the bigger picture that God saves his elect. But if you could lose your salvation, the author actually includes himself here in this teaching. Did you know that? If you start in, I skipped over verse three. We went right to verse four through six. Verse three of Hebrews chapter six, the author says, and so God willing, what's, What's the pronoun there? We. He's including himself in this challenge. And so God willing, right, we will move forward to further understanding. And then he gives the challenge. Don't fall away in apostasy. And then the author makes clear that this is not happening to these hearers. Okay, verse 9. Dear friends, even though we talk to you this way, there's this great challenge. We don't really believe it applies to you. We're confident that you're meant for better things, things that will come with salvation. In fact, he doesn't give a single example of an individual who was saved and then somehow lost their salvation. This passage actually goes from a stern warning to, and and I can't wait to get to the end of this passage, I can't wait to finish this sermon, okay? So uh, I'm kind of breezing through this because this passage actually goes from a stern warning to why we should be assured of our salvation if we're clinging to Christ today, all right? And then we worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. We get up tomorrow and we cling to Christ today, okay? And why we can be assured of our salvation. Now, I wanna challenge us before I move on to remember the big picture, okay, which I like to do. I like to figure, focus on the big picture and we can link arms as a church together. And here, here's the big picture. Whenever we debate this idea of can you lose your salvation, okay, and hopefully I've shown you that I don't think that's what the Bible is teaching, but even if you conclude that way, here's what I love about the debate. It's usually a group of people that hold this book up and they take it seriously, and I love that. They say this is God's word and we're taking it serious and we're looking at verses that, that we wanna take seriously and for that I'm always appreciative, okay? Whether you agree with me this morning on that part of the sermon or not, we can both agree that the essentials of the gospel have not changed, right? People have to respond to the gospel of Jesus through repentance and faith. 
Whether we agree on what I just taught about in Roman, or Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 or 6, well, you and I would, if you disagree with me, you and I would both agree that a person who is actively living in habitual sin and claims to be a Christian is being presumptive on the grace of God and probably both of us would declare that as best we can tell, they're probably not believers because we don't see the fruits of God in their heart and life. Yes, that's the bigger picture. Now, I want to be clear on my stance because language matters, okay? And I, want to, I don't want to get pigeonholed this morning. I don't want anybody to walk out of here today and say, well, Pastor Sean believes in once saved, always saved. I reject that because I, think it, I just think it's a sloppy use of language, all right? And so here's what I believe. I try to define it as best. I think the Bible teaches, okay? Eternal security of the believer can be defined as remaining a Christian. That's what I think eternal security is. We believe that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have truly been born again. That's John 3 language. God is responsible for saving us and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it, okay? That's what I think the Bible's teaching. I tried to summarize it, all right? And I think all of us agree that at the very least, this is a harsh warning of the finality and the danger of rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior and the danger of minimizing the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, at the very least, it's a stern warning. Which leads me to my final point this morning, okay? So I'm gonna make a transition here, all right? So everybody, I hope you, I, I, I really, I don't have a great uh, concluding story this morning. I'm gonna conclude with the scriptures and I hope that you're encouraged this morning. Because the last thing I want us to do is to walk out of here and be like, man, I'm so worried about my salvation. Am I gonna lose it? It's less about am I gonna lose my salvation and it's more, it's less about the negative actually and that's where this passage usually goes with people and it's more about the positive, I want you to leave here this morning focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, asking yourself, have I repented and have I believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if you have, I've got great news for you, the, your salvation is secure, and you wanna know why? Not because of you, but because of the God of the Bible that we worship and that we serve. Check this out, Hebrews 11, verses six, verse 11 and 12. By the way, I think that this is really the point of this passage. We sometimes don't get to verse 11 fast enough, okay? Verses four through six, I think, is a, is a, a stern warning, but 11 through 12 is really what the author's trying to tell these people. Our great desire is that you will keep loving others as long as life lasts in order to, what's the next two words? Make certain, he wants these folks to be certain in what they're believing. For what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent. Instead, you will follow the examples of those who are going to inherit God's promises, which by the way is laid out for us in Hebrews 11. We have this great cloud of witnesses of people that persevered to the end. That's what he's trying to teach of those who are gonna inherit God's promises because of their what? what? Because of what? Because of their faith and their what? Endurance. He's challenging them to endure till the end no matter what. And so here's what he's saying. There's a promised inheritance for those who through faith endure. You can have full assurance if you're trusting God today. The author wants you to be assured of their salvation. He wants you to know there's no doubt if you're holding fast, feasting on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're running through life and you're fretting over your salvation, number one, I would suspect that you're, you're not maturing. That's why you're fretting. My suspicion is if you're running around fretting about your salvation that there's some habitual sin that you haven't grown spiritually mature and therefore you're fretting all the time. Let me encourage you to grow spiritually through personal discipline, through accountability and work towards growing in Christ. But how exhausting it must be to be fretting about your salvation all day. Man, that would just wear me out. 
And so the author says, listen, believe the gospel today while it's called today, and then you can rest and trust in the character of God. Check out Hebrews 6.13. This is what the author's trying to get to. He says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. Here's what that means. You ready? When we want to make a promise, what we say, and I I, I hope this doesn't offend you, I don't mean to say it casually, we say, I swear to God. Why do we swear to God? Because we're not trustworthy. We have to swear against something higher than ourselves so that people know we're serious about the promise that we're making. But God has no one higher to swear against, right? So he swears by his own name that if you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your salvation, your eternal life is assured. Why? Because he's taken an oath by his own name. And so we have this incredible hope of salvation that rests in God's promises, God's word, and God's character. Isn't that good news? Hebrews 6, 17, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. God's not one day gonna change his mind. If you're trusting Jesus Christ, you're not gonna wake up one day and go, oh, there was another path to God. I didn't know that. He's not changing the game plan anywhere along the way because he took an oath. And so God has given us both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. We have an incredible hope that God is true to his word. Isn't that great news? And the gospel saves us from beginning to end. And the promise of salvation is is assured. Why? Not because of you. Not because you have a doubt or maybe in your process of sanctification you you slip up and you fall into sin. No, the the promise of salvation is secured because God is true to his promises. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, it's because back to last week, has entered into the Holy of Holies, which is this picture of the Old Testament temple, pleading for his children to arrive safely home. Aaron, the high priest, used to enter the temple once a year and plead for his people. So if you're wondering, like, what is Jesus doing now? Like, he walked the earth, he died, he rose again. What is he doing now? You want to know what he's doing now, according to the scriptures? He is in the holy of holies. He's in the presence of his heavenly father, and he's interceding for you so that you will make it home. Isn't that great news? Right now, Jesus is in the presence of his heavenly father, praying for you to make it home to eternal life. So when you get up tomorrow, and it's tough, and the world, and the flesh, and the devil are buffeting your faith, and you're wondering if you're going to make it, i got great news for you. Jesus Christ is in the presence of God, pleading for his children to make it home. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, you should clap at that. That's what he's doing. Here's salvation security. It's not in you and me. It's in the character of God and in the person of Jesus. Check this out, Hebrews 6, 19. This hope, meaning the hope that we have of salvation, is strong and it's a trustworthy what? It's an anchor for our souls. And it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. In other words, Jesus Christ is in the Holy of Holies. By by the way, we're gonna close with a song this morning, the one we just sang earlier. The anchor holds within the veil. You're like, I don't know what that means, okay? Here's what it means. It means Jesus is in the presence of God interceding for you until you have eternal life. Romans chapter eight, verse 33, by the way, which I just read the passage earlier. Remember, I said I was gonna bring this full circle. It's the passage that we all love, that nothing's gonna separate us from the love of God. Did you know it is in the context of Jesus interceding for his elect or for his children until they make it home? Check this out. Romans eight thirty-three. Who shall bring in a charge against God's elect? It is God's who justifies. Who is it who to condemn? Jesus Christ the one who died more than that, who, ha- who was raised, and who is, what's he doing right now? He's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who can bring a charge against God's children? No one. Why? Because Jesus is interceding. He's in the Holy of Holies praying for you. 
Jesus is the anchor within the veil that allows our salvation uh, to be assured and we can rest in the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ. And why can we rest in that? Because God said so and he swears upon his own name. Isn't that cool? That's why Paul then finishes this passage with, that's why I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate you from God's love. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate you from God's love. No power in the sky above nor the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the so what. Here's the big idea. Pursue Jesus Christ daily. Repent of your sin and pursue the person and work of Jesus Christ daily with endurance and patience to the end. And if you do that, your salvation is secure. Why? Not because of you did it, but because God is true to his promises and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you till you make it home, till your faith becomes sight. Is anyone else besides me encouraged by that? It's very encouraging. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is right now interceding for you. And tomorrow morning when you get up and then you go to work and you have a tough moment and you lose your cool or your wonder, Jesus Christ is in the presence of God the Father interceding for you to have patience and endurance. And when you get up on Tuesday and Tuesday's tongue, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is snuggled up next to the holiness of his heavenly Father and he's interceding for you. And when you get up on Wednesday and you feel like, man, I'm tempted, but I, I tripped and fell and you repent of that sin and you walk again, Jesus Christ is interceding for you every day until your faith becomes sight. So here's what we're gonna do this morning, man. I'm gonna close with prayer and then during our offering time, we are gonna sing about that as a church. So the next time you sing Cornerstone and we talk about my anchor holds within the veil, here's what we're talking about. Jesus Christ is in the presence of God the Father praying for them until they make it home for eternal life. Isn't that great? That's how we're gonna close this morning. Let me close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we wanna thank you for the hope and the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you're true to your word. We thank you that we can rest in that. You're not a God who lies. If you say that believing in Jesus gives us eternal life, then you're true to that till the end. And we thank you that Jesus, our great high priest, is in the presence of our God and he's pleading for us. He's pleading for his elect. He's pleading for his children that they would, that their faith, all the way from, uh, from birth until our faith becomes sight in eternal life. And we rest in that, God. It gives us so much hope. It gives us so much encouragement that you're true to your word. You're true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for the one this morning that has been nibbling on the gospel. That as we sing this song, that the gospel of Jesus would overwhelm them and that they would repent of their sin and they would grow to maturity so that they could grow spiritually knowing that they're walking in faith and they're walking in endurance, honoring the Lord in their spiritual growth. And Lord, if they're being convicted of their sin, it's because Jesus is in the presence of God interceding for them that they may be convicted of their sin and that they may grow in holiness and righteousness. We thank you for that. Thank you that you love us enough to not go down the path of death, but you love us enough to walk on the path of life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.